honey, we need to talk. Crucial conversations in relationships. That's what we're discussing this morning. Honey, we need to talk. Crucial conversations in relationships. Something happened in the book of Genesis chapter 3 that anytime I think about it, it's, you know, I feel like there's something that the Bible is not talking about, but that is there. And I always wonder, you know, how it happened. And I always want to meditate on it more deeply so that I can get a deeper understanding. Because the way, uh, you know, our relationship with the Word of God should be the one that we dwell on, allowing the Holy Spirit to breathe upon it in our heart so that we can gain deeper understanding. That's what I like to do with the Scriptures. So when you read Genesis chapter 3, uh, um, you read from verse 1 there, and you see that something seriously happened. The first marriage, and by, you know, uh, implication, the first relationship was about to go into pieces. Something terrible happened. The adversary, our adversary, Satan, who came in a figurative manner as a serpent there, came and spoke to Eve. And Eve, you know, caved in and took the fruit, the forbidden fruit, as it, uh, as it were, and got her husband along to do the same. And then God came, <clears throat> and by the time God would uh, show up, God was asking Adam, Adam, where are you? It was the first time God would be asking Adam question. And when God asks you question, when the all-knowing God asks you question, you know you're in trouble. Yeah. You know you're in trouble. The moment God asks you question, like God asking you, where's your wife or where's your husband? Yeah. God asking you, you are in a place, and you feel in your heart God is asking you, why are you here? God, who is everywhere and who knows everywhere, is asking you, why are you here? And who even knows the intention of your heart? Then you know you're in trouble. That was what happened to Adam. Adam, where are you? And Adam started to, you know, stammer a little bit. I heard your voice and I was, you know, afraid. The first time man will also feel the emotion of fear after creation. The first time. You know, because it's always good when you read the book of Genesis to notice some of the things happening for the first time. It was the first time Adam would communicate his emotion to God and it was negative. I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid, so I hid myself. The moment God saw negative emotion, he realized that something had gone wrong. Because man was not supposed to, you know, have negative emotion at that time. Everything was good. It was eating in the garden of God and everything was working well. So where would negative emotion come from? The moment God saw that, you know, he already knew anyway, but Adam was reporting himself. And then... The next thing was God saying, you know what? You guys disobeyed, and some bad things are going to happen. One, you're going to lose your accommodation. Adam, you're going to lose your job. Yeah. And I'm going to downgrade you. Instead of you just, you know, doing everything easily and you're getting results, now you're going to sweat. Yeah. I'm not going to curse you. I'll curse the ground on your behalf. Yeah. So that's your punishment. God never cursed man. He cursed the ground. And then, like that, it started with serpent, the originator of the whole Allah. You know, and dealt with him. Yeah. And then Adam. And then Eve. And you see, this, this is my point. After all that, what was supposed to happen? The man should look at the woman and said, I've always said it. Since you came into my life, everything has been going down. Now I've lost my job. We've lost our accommodation. Because God said, vacate. <laughs> Read it very well. It's just because of time that I'm not really going to. We've lost our accommodation. I've lost my job. Um, instead of, you know, manager that I was, 
you know, I'm now a new recruit, you know, and all that. Uh, uh, now I have to do manual labor, and you know what? All that conversation, Eve, uh, in his own, on, on, on our own side, will be saying things like, you know, now it's not going to be easy for me to give back again. See what, why did you listen to me? You know, all that. You know, why didn't you tell me everything that God told you? Because God told you, but you didn't say it like that. That wasn't how you said it. You said, you said, you know, and then the argument was supposed to go on and on and on. You said, she said, he said, and then everything, and then serpent said, and then now one will say, why did you listen to serpent? Why? That, was, that was what was supposed to happen. Am I saying the truth? Yeah. Just imagine today, if your wife caused you to lose your job, what should happen afterwards? She should be labeled the devil, and everything should go south. And you should second-guess the marriage and have a plan to separate or to divorce. Am I saying the truth? How was it pulled off that after the fall of man, with all the arguments and all the issues that came up, that that marriage did not break? You know, it's easy for somebody here to say, oh, it's just the two of them. Yeah, that's why Adam did not have an alternative. You know, I'm just preempting some people here. Yeah, that's what they'll say. Because some people always have... One funny way of looking at everything, yeah, yeah, to justify whatever they have in their mind. The absence of the woman or another woman did not, should not suggest to you that Adam should not exist on his own. He could have still left the woman. Am I saying the truth? Before the woman came, he was already in existence. Yeah. So it wasn't because of that. But there was one thing that happened that was highly commendable. I'm still meditating on it. I'm wondering how it happened. But in Genesis chapter 3, when you read verse 20, verse 19 was the last statement that God made. In the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken. For dust you are, so dust you shall return. And verse 20, look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 20. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. That was the end of the issue. Adam called his wife's name Eve. After everything that God has said, the next thing was, what would Adam, uh, Adam say? And the next thing Adam would say is, I'm not going to call you crazy or mad woman, idiot, yeah, yeah, woman. I don't want to go vernacular. That can go, get out of hand. You all know. Yeah. In any Nigerian language, it will get out of hand. Yeah. Before we move from Oyochi to... Uh, I hope you understand what I'm saying. I'm not going to go there. Yeah, but you know how it can get. Yeah. If we decide to go any, any way. We go south, west, middle, anywhere we go, it can get out of hand. Yeah. But one thing that Adam said was... You are... Who God has created you to be. I believe in you. Eve, mother of all creation. Yeah. This incident has not changed my perception of you and my perspective of you. Yeah. I'm still going to look at you and call you who God says you are. How do we hold crucial conversations in relationships even when the whole place is all agitated? By the way, a crucial conversation is the kind of conversation you have when the stakes are high Emotions are ranging, and we have divergent opinion. Yeah. Yeah. 
The stakes are very high. There's also high emotion. And we're not on the same plane. We need to have a crucial conversation. That's what we're discussing this morning. Only we need to talk. Crucial conversations in relationships. Let me start out with the principle of the block drain. You need to understand that. What's the fastest way to flood a house? The fastest way to flood a house is to block the drains. All the drains in the house. It's not the volume of water. It's whether there's a drain pipe to take them out or not. Am I saying the truth? Yeah. It's not about the volume of water. It's about whether they can go out or not. If you leave one faucet on in your bathroom and the drain is blocked, all the drain pipes going out of your house is blocked, very soon your house will be flooded. You can leave a faucet on in your washroom and go to work and come back and your house will still be clean without water if the drains are open, if all the channels are okay, both inside and outside. Am I saying the truth? Yeah. So, just from that perspective, when we allow issues to pile up, when they are not allowed to flow out of the relationship, whether it's a dating relationship or marriage, the moment you start to date a guy, on your first date, some things happen. You kept them in your heart. Then you had a phone call again and some of that things happened. And then, you know, the guy said something. You know, this guy said something. I remember a lady uh, um, <laughs> approached me uh, some time sometime ago and she was talking about, oh, there's this guy in the U.S. that's um, talking to me, you know, wanted to marry me, met him through a friend. And you know, tell me more about him. I said, Pastor, oh, he's a very nice guy, you know. But there's one thing, there was one thing. Uh, uh, as at this time, they had not met physically. And he said, but there was one day we were just having a chat. And this guy, we were talking about someone who was trying to settle down in the U.S. And the guy said, it's okay if, but if we do RNG marriage and settle down. And he said, I told the guy, he's uh, a Christian, but I started to have everything. And I asked her, have you confronted him on his take on arranged marriage to get citizenship? She said no, but you kept it on your mind. It's already affecting how you see this guy, but you're not talking. But very soon, the guy is going to do a lot more stuff that will sweep you off your feet, and you're still going to get, to get married to this guy, and then when you now get married, you have all those things, they will become filters with which you see his action and his attitude. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. That's how it works. When you have many more of those things, and it's the same thing in marriage. Some people are very historical when in marriage. Yeah. Somebody probably thought I would say hysterical. No, historical. Yeah, I didn't miss my word. All the piled up history, they are filters. They affect how you see your spouse. Yeah. Though the Bible says that love does not keep a record of wrong, but some of us are cheap record officers. We know how to keep those records, and we, we just pull them out. 1984. This one is 1989. Then you see another one, 2002. You know? I'm, I, I counsel couples a lot, and when they become historical, I'm afraid. Yeah, because I don't know what's going to come next. I mean, you can imagine somebody telling me what happened the night before the wedding. And then what happened at honeymoon 15 years ago? And you are still talking about it and you are, 
you are becoming teary. That means you're, 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 you <laughs> I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. That means it's still there. It's still very strong. What happened 15 years ago is still controlling your emotions today and you have refused to let go. The faster we let go, the easier it becomes. Proverbs 27 and verse 15. A continual dripping on a very raining day and a contentious woman are alike. I don't know about you. Since this morning, I've been wondering, this rain that's just dripping and dripping, when is it going to stop? You know, it can be annoying. When you were living home this morning, didn't you feel like, because it's been raining here in Lagos, didn't you feel like this rain should, so that you can have a good time in church? Yeah. That's how it feels. The Bible compares that to a contentious woman or a contentious man, as the case may be. I checked the meaning of contentious. It's meant to be argumentative. Yeah. It means to be argumentative. Based on some of the things that you, you have in mind. Proverbs 26, when you read verse 20, it says, where there's no wood, the fire goes out. And where there's no tailbearer, strife ceases. Where there's no wood, the fire goes out. You have to supply wood for fire to keep burning. And in marriage and relationship, some of us see some of those things in our heart as asanas, as wood that we throw into the fire that, you know, that just makes it to burn and burn more. And we feel good. When those things are burning everything down. Yeah. Because we have refused to let go of certain things that we need to let go of. So, you don't do your relationship any good by keeping quiet. If there are issues, issues are there to be resolved. And how we resolve contentious issues is through crucial conversations. It's through crucial conversations. Through crucial conversations. So, you, so if, if you refuse to, you eventually erupt and it doesn't result in conversation. It becomes a conflict. So note this. Eruptions result in conflict, not conversation. You cannot erupt out of anger and expect a conversation to stem from there. Yeah. And many of us feel is that it's when we you know, do that that we can resolve issues. Issues don't get resolved when you erupt. Issues get resolved when we face issues and we have conversations. How many people here have been running away from crucial conversations? Yeah. Can you think about it? What are the crucial conversations I've been running away from? Some of, some of us have discussed things with our friends. You see, you see I, I, I don't like the way my mother-in-law just interfere in our relationship anyhow. But the, 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 the woman at home, when did you sit down and say, can we talk about your mother? Yeah. Vice versa. It may be a woman always complaining. My mother-in-law is always, you know, controlling my husband. Have you sat down with your husband to have a crucial conversation? Can I tell you the truth? Some conversations are almost like life-threatening. You remember the issue and something tells you, keep quiet. You're going to scatter everything if you talk. But the truth is that issues don't resolve themselves. Are you still with me today? And the more we allow them to pile up, the more we create problems. What we need to do is to understand how to have crucial conversations, develop skills in crucial conversations. Not to just shy away from issues. Not to just shy away from issues. So, a good conversation, of course, let's get into it gradually. 
a good conversation occurs when there is balance of power between two parties. I want to dwell on this a bit. The reason why a lot of us are struggling to have crucial conversations, whether in a relationship or a marriage, is that there's no balance of power. And that's where it starts from. For two people to be able to talk objectively, we have to see ourselves as equals. Yeah. We have to see ourselves as teammates. Yeah. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like saying, how do we win? Let's, let's, let's assume that this is, which team should we choose? Is it Chelsea? Okay. Let's assume that this is Chelsea. I don't like Arsenal, so I can't use them. No, no I can't. I mean, this is the author of God. I'm just saying my mind. Or do you want me to pretend? And all the gunners, please, feel anyhow. It's okay. <laughs> Including Pastor T. It's okay. <laughs> all right. So let's assume that this is Chelsea. And two of us cannot be fighting each other and we want to beat Asna. Our enemy is on the other side. I hope you understand what I'm saying. It's not here. When we see ourselves as teammates, we can talk. Am I saying the truth? Yeah, we can talk. Because there's balance of power. So balance of power from Webster Dictionary is an equilibrium of power sufficient to discourage or prevent one nation or party from imposing its will or on or interfering with the interests of another. Imposing his will on or interfering with the interests of another. That's balance of power. That's balance of power. In relationships, both parties should feel they have weight and value. You should feel both valued and valuable. If you are in, please singles, listen to me. If you are in any relationship right now, You don't feel valued or valuable. That's a problem going somewhere to happen. Yeah. It's a problem going somewhere to happen. There's no balance of power. It's going to create a lot of issues for you. Let me try to break this down a little bit more. See, there are... (laughs) How do you hold a conversation where there's no balance of power? It's like talking to a king. You can't have an argument with a king. A king gives instruction, and that's final. When, in Africa, when a king has spoken, the subject says the king has spoken. That's all. Have you watched it now, home videos before? Yeah. Somebody just says the king has spoken, and everybody will just bow and walk away. You know the truth? That cannot work in marriage. Yeah. It can't work in marriage. All the men in the house say amen. amen. African men say amen. Yes, God bless you. I know some people are not saying it, but God is seeing you. <laughs> because we are teaching the word right now. And you need to understand this that the word of God is different from our tradition. Yeah. If we want to hold on to our tradition, we don't need the Bible. And the Bible, if you call yourself a Christian, the Bible is your manual for living, not tradition. We respect tradition. Especially when it lines up with scriptural dictates, but when it's, you know, at variance with scriptural dictates, we, we, we put it under the blood. Yeah. And do what the word of God says. 
do what the word of God says. So, how do you have a conversation where there's no balance of power? How do you have a conversation when you feel disadvantaged? It's almost impossible. But when you read through the Bible, Ephesians chapter 5, it's very instructive. In Ephesians chapter 5 there, uh, uh, I think from about uh, verse 21, yes, of Ephesians chapter 5, can you put that up for me? This main subject there was, can you give me King, uh, yeah, New King James, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. You see, if you have a good Bible, it's the end of a paragraph, and then another paragraph will start from verse 22 of Ephesians chapter 5. Yeah. So you know that the last statement of the last paragraph uh, did not conclude it. It actually is like the edging for the remaining part of the chapter. Submitting, verse 21 says, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. Then verse 22 says, wives, starting with the wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. Then verse 23 says, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church and is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Verse 25. See, from verse 25 to 33, the end, he then spoke to men. The issue of the woman was not, it was just one or two verses, just to entreat women to submit to their. Then he now started talking. I realized that it looks like the culture where Paul was writing this, Ephesians, is similar to our own. That's probably why he then spent the rest about seven or eight verses to be talking to men about this same issue of submitting to one another and creating a balance of power within our household. It's very important. If you refuse to create balance of power within your household, what you are doing is you are building the marriage on a wrong foundation. Yeah. The man is the leader, but the man is not a dictator. (laughs) Yeah. So the man is a leader, not a dictator. There's no balance of power in dictatorship. That's why we say we don't want military. In democracy, you have balance of power. Between the three tiers of government, the executive, the legislative houses of legislature, and the judiciary, and then the citizens. Yeah. We carry most of the power. It's just in this part of the world, we don't know our power as citizens. Yeah. We are the real government. Yeah. Because ordinarily, we should be able to sack all the three arms of government put together. That's balance of power. The only problem that we're having in Africa is illiteracy and underdevelopment. Citizens don't know the worth of their power. So we think we're subjects of the executive or the legislature or the judiciary. No, it's the other way around. Because they are either appointed or elected to do stuff for us. So there has to be balance of power for things to work well. The leader is the leader. The leader is the leader, but... God has something to say. Verse 25 here, he decided to talk to husband for balance of power. Wives, submit to your own husband. Verse 25 says, husband, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church that he gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. That's why I said in the first message of this series that the God's original intention for marriage is not essentially for happiness but holiness. Happiness is a byproduct of a good marriage. When God thinks about why you are married, 
or why you want to be married is seeing a better you, a holier you, a washed you. Yeah. A you without wrinkle. Said that he may, <laughs> that he may present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Verse 28 says, So husbands loved, I mean, ought to love their own wives as their own body. See where the equality comes in. Said, He who loves his wife loves himself. Verse 29. For no one ever hates his own flesh. Said, Put it side by side. You are equal. See this person as yourself. So love your wife as yourself, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does. Look at verse 30. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. Verse 31. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, quoting Genesis uh, chapter 2 there, uh, leave his father and mother and join to his wife, and two of them shall become one flesh. If you think about it, I was meditating on this recently. If you say one, look at uh, number one. One is always straight. Am I saying the truth? If you see anything tilting this way, is it still one? If it tilts this way, is it one? No. One is one. There's balance of power in one. When two people come together and become one, there's balance of power. No tilting in any direction. Yeah. One creates, oneness should create balance, which is I am you and you are me. So there's balance. It's not like you are less of me and I'm higher than you or anything like that. Though the man has the God-given right to lead. And like I said, leadership is different from dictatorship. It's a God-given right to lead, to create direction. The primary assignment of leadership, a leader knows the way and leads the way. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Knows the way and leads the way. So vision is the primary assignment of leadership. And then influence to be able to, not, not destruction or, you know, or coercion or whatever, is to influence, to lead the way. Are you still with me today? I know many of the men here have switched off. It's okay. God bless you. Praise God. <laughs> so look at verse 32 there. Say this is a great mystery and I'm speaking concerning uh, uh, the church and uh, Christ and the church. Verse 3 says, Nevertheless, let each one of you, that's the final conclusion of this matter, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Can you see the balance of power there? Love and respect is where we get the balance of power from in relationship. So if I love my wife and my wife respects me, there's balance of power, we can have crucial conversations. We can have crucial conversations. Outside of that, a crucial conversation may not exist. Because it will be a king and a subject. And it's not only every time that the man is the one that assumes the position of a king. Somebody may be saying, why did you say that? I said that because two things to be mindful of that can tell this balance of power is money and culture. In this part of the world, when we say culture, it tilts in the direction of the man. But when we focus on money, it can go either way. Am I saying the truth? Yeah. If the woman is the breadwinner, the balance of power may tilt in the direction of the woman. And the woman will not respect her husband. Sometimes the balance of power tilts in the direction of the man. The man is the breadwinner, and the heavy breadwinner for that matter. 
deals with the woman anyhow. Forgetting that the Bible says in the book of First uh, Peter or 2 Peter, where it says you should deal, you know, well with your wife so that your prayer will not be hindered. Yeah. Because God is always watching that balance of power. He is the judge. He, he looks at it and sees this thing has to be straight. This line has to be straight. Shouldn't every tilt in one direction? Are you still with me today? I said, are you still with me today? So in Mark chapter 7, when you read verse 9, Jesus said, and he said to them, all too well, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. A lot of the time, what happens is that we reject the commandment of God because we want to keep our tradition when the tradition suits us. Yeah. So, tradition will sway the balance of power. Money will sway the balance of power. Money will sway the balance of power. So, when the balance of power is in your favor, there's a temptation to break scriptures. You need to resist it. When the balance of power is in your favor, there's a temptation to break scriptures. You need to resist it. How you resist it is through humility, deference, and preferring one another in love maintains the equilibrium in, in marriage. That's how you do it. If you are the breadwinner right now, don't take advantage of the balance of power that is in your favor to ride rough shots over your, your, you know, your spouse. If you are in a very, very traditional marriage, please slow down. Slow down. Somebody's interest is being completely eroded. Somebody is suffering. Slow down. And obey the scriptures. And create a relationship where there's somewhat balance of power. And be a good leader that obeys the word of God. That's what we're saying this morning. It will take humility for you to pay all the bills and refuse to call your spouse bad names. Yeah. To take humility. Yeah. For you to pay all the bills and still behave yourself at home. Because outside of that, there will be no balance of power. There can't be crucial conversation. Somebody, you will stonewall your spouse. They will be talking and you won't answer. You make them feel like they're useless and yet you want to have a good marriage. Those two things don't work together. The balance of power speaks of love and respect. Outside of that, it's a bad marriage and a bad relationship. Yeah. And like I say a lot when I, when I tweet my Friday event, the Better Half series, love is not blind. We only have people who turn blind eyes to issues. Yeah. To their detriment, especially when you are still dating. When you turn blind eyes to bad habits, when you turn blind eyes to addictions, when you turn blind eyes to lying, you will meet it in marriage. Yeah. And, but it will have tilted the balance of power because you have been taking rubbish. It will tilt the balance of power negatively and it will still affect you. Because somebody will tell you, you saw me like that. Yeah. And you still said, I, I do. So you continue to do. And if an issue is brought to me, I will tell you to do. Yes, do. Because love is not blind, you only turn a blind eye to the issue that you're supposed to have sat down with your, 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 your to-be partner and have a crucial conversation. Do you know that two people can go their separate ways and they will still be friends, they will still be able to say hi, and you won't delete the person on Facebook, you still, the person will still be your friend. Because this thing ended on a crucial conversation. Both of us knew that it's not going to work for us. Yeah. We knew it's not going to work for us. That's how... You know, dating relationships you end. 
Not that we make enemies. Some people have 10 enemies now. All the people you have dated, they are all your enemy. If they are going for a party, you won't show up there because they are showing up. How long do you want to do that? For a lifetime? No, it's not going to work. So when I'm backing on the crucial conversation, let me wrap this all up. When I'm backing on the crucial conversation, uh-huh. one is that you need to ask these questions. What do you want? And then what do I want? And then what's the best instead interest of our relationship? Very important. I need to clarify what I want. And then clarify what you want. And then both of us need to be able to agree what is in the best interest of our relationship. Interestingly, it may not be what both of us want. Sometimes it may be what somebody wants. The other person, with simple common sense, asking the question, what's the best interest of this relationship, should be able to align with the second party. Am I saying the truth this morning? Yeah, it's just like sometimes it's difficult for common sense to prevail. Yeah. I, I seriously wish a lot of people are watching this online uh, because on a rainy day like this, uh, um, we get low attendance. And this is the kind of message I feel every household in Lagos or in Nigeria, Africa, should hear. Praise God. Yeah. I said, praise God. I'm definitely going to make sure this gets on TV and on the internet. <laughs> so, finally, tips for effective conflict resolution or crucial conversation. Pray first. Pray first. Prayer is very important. Pray. Pray. Somebody is saying right now, my husband is not listening to me. My wife is not listening to me. Have you prayed about the issue? Have you prayed about the issue? Somebody is saying right now, oh, this, this, I don't know. I want to end this relationship, pastor. I don't think this will result into marriage. We, we, you know, we find it difficult to talk. This guy doesn't listen. Or this lady doesn't listen. Have you prayed about it? Pray first. Secondly, cast assumptions aside. Assumptions come from filters. Filters from your past relationship. Yeah. Filters from what your mother told you and what your older sisters told you. Because they create filters. The moment they say every man lacks self-control and all men are dogs. The moment you are dating a man and the man bothers to say hi to a beautiful lady that is passing by, you say he's one of them. That's a filter. It, it, it makes you to see the person that you're with in a different light. Though they may have no intention at all to cheat on you. And it creates problems. So that's why you have to cast assumptions aside. It is what it is. This is the person I'm with. So I need to know this person. I need to understand this person. Let me put all the filters aside. Number three, employ tact and diplomacy. Time will not permit me to unpack this. Employ, uh, you know, tact and diplomacy. You see, when you read the story of Esther, for instance, yeah, or uh, the story in the Bible about Nathan the prophet and David. When Nathan went to meet David to talk about David's shenanigan with Beersheba, uh, Bathsheba, and uh, that's Uriah's wife. When he approached David, he didn't say, King, you are a fool. That's when he take a man's wife. You know, that's how some people like to talk. And we say, in every man, there's a king and a fool. The one you speak to is the one that would answer you. Yeah. That's why two people can talk to the same person and they will elicit two different response. Because it's, it's, two, as I am standing here, there's a fool and a king in me. The one you speak to is the one that will respond to you. That's how it works in life. You press the wrong button, you get the wrong result. Nathan approached David and said, ah, can you imagine king in this our, you know, country, a, a, a poor man 
who, you know, doesn't have any uh, animal, you know. And then there's a rich man who has plenty of, you know, cattles and all that. They, then the rich man now went and now took the only animal of the poor man. And, you know, all that. As was saying, David was boiling. Ah, will give justice. That, <laughs> that rich man has to be dealt with. By the time Nathan finished, David said, show me the, the man. I'm going to deal with him. Da, 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 da. And David just said, no, okay, it's you. Yeah, it's you. David, calm down. When you want to have a crucial conversation, you have to base it on principles. Only a fool struggles with principles. Principles of fairness, principles of the scripture. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, only a fool struggle with that. But when you are not issue-based, you are just calling names, shouting on top of your voice, and becoming historical, and talk, talking about what has happened before, you know, and what is happening now. What are, what are the underlying issues? Which principles are we contravening? And what will be in the best interest of this marriage? That's the most important thing. If it's a principle of trust or openness, whatever, bring it up. Oh, God, you are keeping money too much for me. This is what it is. It's not about me. It's about the future of this relationship. If there's no openness and trust here, we can't be, we're building on quicksand. That's how to approach a crucial conversation. It's not in the interest of the, I have enough money to spend. So it's not, I don't need money. That's not why I'm bringing this up. Can you imagine a woman talking to her husband that way? The man will calm down now. Because you have not asked for anything. Rather than fighting for money, tell him to be open. <laughs> I don't know if you are getting what I'm saying. Yeah. Next one is define what the win for both of you will be. What is the win? What is the win? What is the win? If we don't know the win, we just go whining. Just continue to whine. What is the win? What outcome will bring the best for us? And lastly, remember, like I said before, your spouse or partner is not the enemy. We're on the same team. It's not the enemy. The enemy is outside, not within our house. A marriage has failed. Mark my word. Has failed when a partner feels the other partner is the enemy. It will take God to repair that marriage. Yeah. It will take God to repair that marriage. There's already a failure mechanism that has been embedded in that marriage. Are you still with me this morning? Will somebody lift your right hand to Jesus this morning and receive grace, whether you're single, married, divorced, separated, whatever your status, we do. Just, just pray this morning and just ask God for wisdom for crucial conversations. Tell him, Lord, give me wisdom for crucial conversations. Give me wisdom for crucial conversations. I want to be able to resolve my issues without them getting out of hand. I want to be able to resolve my issues without them getting out of hand. Give me wisdom for crucial conversations. The ability to resolve issues without them getting out of hand. Somebody pray to Jesus this morning. He's the giver of wisdom. He's the giver of wisdom. Will you ask him this morning for wisdom? It takes wisdom. It takes wisdom. It takes tact. It takes diplomacy. It takes understanding of the principles that govern life. And that's wisdom. Just ask him this morning, Lord, give me wisdom. I want a better relationship. 
If you're single, you don't want to get into the next relationship and it's not different from the last one. It has to be better. Will you ask him this morning for wisdom? If you're married, you, you want a better marriage. And a better marriage is a marriage where we can resolve issues. Where we can minimize pain. And we can resolve our issues. We can understand each other. We can slow down for each other. We can forgive. And we can walk with each other in love. So we can create heaven on earth. Father, we thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you for strength that is coming to our innermost being right now. We thank you for someone who is gaining confidence right now to step into a relationship knowing that things can always be worked out. Thank you for someone who just, you know, experienced a heartbreak and is afraid to step into another relationship. Thank you for healing this morning because the hold of fear is broken in the name of Jesus. The hold of fear is broken. No more fear. Wisdom is available. Thank you for peace in every home that is represented here. Everyone watching on the internet. Peace, peace, peace. And the release of the spirit of wisdom. Lift your two hands with me this morning. Father, we thank you for your grace that has been supplied today. For us to resolve issues and refrain from sweeping them under the carpet. Thank you for grace coming upon somebody today to hold crucial conversations that will bring healing into our relationships. We will no longer run away from important issues in our marriages, in our relationships. We thank you. We thank you for the supply of wisdom. We thank you for the spirit of boldness. We thank you for grace to overcome the fear of conflict. Thank you for grace to overcome the fear of conflict. Thank you for grace to see ourselves as teammates and not enemies. We bless you, our Father. We bless you, our Father. In the precious name of Jesus. And I have this word for somebody here this morning. I think it's a lady I'm talking to. You need to slow down. That's what God is saying. Slow down. Slow down. Slow down. And don't use your mouth to break down what I've helped, helped you to build. That's what God is telling that lady this morning. Slow down. Slow down. Slow down. Slow down. Slow down. Practice issue-based crucial conversation. Stop calling that man names. I want to use him. And you need to cooperate with me to use him. Stop pulling him down. He has a great destiny. He has a great destiny. Stop pulling him down. He has a great destiny. My call is upon his life. And you need to cooperate with me to fulfill my calling upon his life. So slow down. Slow down. Slow down. That's what the Spirit of God is telling that lady here this morning. I don't know who you are, but God knows you. And you need to obey the word of God here. So that you can enjoy peace and divine prosperity in your life. Father, we thank you for the one you love, you chastises. And we thank you for the word that you brought away this morning. Let it profit everyone under the influence of my voice, everyone watching on the internet, everyone that will yet watch this after now, everyone that will listen to this message, let it bring profit into our hearts. We bless you, our Father. See, with all eyes bowed and all eyes closed, I love to pray for you.